0: Welcome to the Social Ideas Podcast, brought to you by the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation. This series looks through the lens of those striving for a better world. I'm Michelle Faber. Motivated by the death of George Floyd, the staff and students at West Suffolk College wanted to create positive change. The college is the first in the UK to announce it will now teach black history all year round. This is a far cry from the 60s and 70s when a group of parents from African Caribbean descent took it upon themselves to teach their own children Black British history on Saturdays because schools were not doing it. Richard Accarelli is a graduate of the Masters in Social Innovation, and I was Richard's supervisor for his dissertation, which was called Integrating Black British History, A Student's Perspective. Given that most history teachers in the UK are white. I asked Richard what he would say to those who might feel that they don't have the authority to talk about these issues with their students.
1: Firstly I would say to the teachers it's not a pressure to do it because I think unfortunately you know when you're told okay black British must be taught and it should be taught as a teacher you're kind of like are you saying that my exclusion of teaching it? not out of willingness not to teach it, maybe out of not, not having experience or not having a knowledge, all of a sudden, am I unconscious bias and it's almost like, it's the connotations that come with why are you not teaching it, you must teach it. And it's kind of that sort of thing. So the first thing I would basically say to any teacher or in particular white teachers is that there is no pressure to get it completely right. People should be able to be free to have that conversation. And if you are fortunate enough, or if you do have diverse students in your classroom, that's a great conversation to start, you know, within, within the limits of if it's controversial, but to have those kind of, did you know, you know, just to have like a quiz, to have conversations, to make it fun to talk about these things. And the onus is then not necessarily on the teacher being the ultimate oracle of knowledge, but the teacher is facilitating opportunities for these young people to learn, which is what teachers generally do anyway, fantastically. And then the, the the second thing I would say to teachers is that don't be afraid to admit if you don't know yet, because, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of students who will be able to, to provide that information and feel so valued and feel so excited. Like our research showed, they are willing, capable to provide information that we don't know. <laughs> I'm learning every single day, even from young people. My advice would be to teachers to don't see it as a, a lesson per se, see it as a conversation that you're enabling your students to have. And if you open the door for them, whether they take it on board or they don't take it on board, you are the gatekeeper. You are the person that can open the door. So for those teachers who feel uncomfortable, it's not a pressure. I'm not I'm not a teacher in that sense. And I'm not an exam board. And I'm not someone who's going to be assessing anybody. But I think the key thing is not to see yourself as pressured to do it and enjoy the experience of allowing your students to learn from each other and have the opportunity to, to have conversations that they haven't had before. So I think in that sense, it should be fun, it should be interactive, and it should be, like our research said, not to plug it again, but uh, it should be student-led and facilitate it as the kind of the referee if it gets out of hand or if it becomes offensive, then that's the authoritative teacher-referee role. So I would say student-led, have the conversations, but also put safe boundaries so that people are not offended by um, views that are not helpful for everybody
0: because it's so personal for students, you know the first thing they do is is think about their own selves in relation to it so so yeah, thank you. I think that was one of the one of the great things that was highlighted um, in the dissertation when you wrote about it was the importance of having a a learning community. Yeah.
1: Shared learning experience. uh,
0: When learning about, yeah, race, because of the personal nature and potentially sensitive nature of it. And also because it's, you know, it's our history. It's my history and it's your history.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, when, when, when when you look back and you say, well, you know, black British people have, or black people have been in England since the 16th century. We have a collective history. We have a collective identity. And I think it's really, really important that these kind of conversations take place, that, that we facilitate a learning communities, that we are communities that learn from each other. You know, it's the effort that we take as a community to learn from our next door neighbour, whoever that might be. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I think if you go in with that mentality, with a learning mentality, you learn a lot because I think race isn't just a colour you know, there's no fully white, there's no fully black. I think what it is, it's more a cultural identity and race in England is embedded, not just in white or black, it's actually embedded in values, in culture. And therefore, if we put race as part of our British identity culturally, um, I think it then opens up the door for us to have very interesting conversations.
0: So, given the importance of this and the the lack of research about it currently, I know that you've uh, recently become a PhD candidate at the University of Bristol. Um, so, congratulations, first of all, on um, on your successful application uh, to Bristol. So, t- tell us about your your PhD plans. What are you going to do next?
1: Yeah. First of all, thank you. It's really I'm really really excited. I'm really really excited and. The funny thing is, I'm looking at the same period, like the, the young people in my um, master's dissertation, I'm looking at 18th century black Victorians, but actually a different side to it. So I'm looking at entrepreneurs. So I'm looking at, for example, the same person that we looked at uh, for my master's dissertation, William Coffey, who not only fought against um, slavery, but actually was a tailor. So, you know, how did he set up his own business as a tailor? Who was his client? How was he able to establish a business when, you know, the majority of Black people at the time were uh, servants in the Victorian era? So, my research at PhD level is looking at entrepreneurship as a form of emancipation. How have these 18th century Black British individuals been able to set up their own businesses? Some, for example, Ignatius sancho had a bookshop <laughs> you know so how did he set up his own business what was it for his love for reading was it a, a community space to do collective reading so i think there's a lot of different sides to entrepreneurs in this 18th century britain that can offer us a different angle to black british history but also the hope is that this research will inform modern day entrepreneurs from Black and ethnic minorities to say you have a longer legacy in Britain than is commonly assumed, but also that should give you strength and resilience. This legacy of entrepreneurs from the 18th century is really important because what I would like to find out and what I hope to find out is what lessons do they learn from, from these entrepreneurs and how will it affect how you un- see yourself as a Black entrepreneur in Britain? Is it just a millennial or a black British individual setting up a business with a long history of entrepreneurs who have been forerunners and pioneers, even in challenging times like we find ourselves now. So I think it's going to be very interesting and I'm excited to find out more um, as I look at archives.
0: That's great. So are you using the archives that are existing in Bristol?
1: Um, yes, yeah, so, so there are archives at Bristol. Bristol has a long history because of. It's links to transatlantic uh, slavery and the ports. They have a lot of uh, merchants who came in and out. There is currently a flourishing Afro-Caribbean community in in Bristol. So there are records and there is um, national archives. And actually, there is actually a Black archives group in Bristol. So I look forward to meeting them and finding out more about what records they have.
0: So I think it would be a miss of us if we didn't mention some of the activity that's been happening in bristol connected with the black lives movement the statue of edward colson was toppled last year by protesters who are becoming more aware of the history of bristol and how the fact that bristol is so affluent today is actually largely thanks to the economic legacy of its participation in transatlantic slavery so
1: yeah edward colson i think um it represents A past that we would like to forget. We, we, you know, and I think it also represents this tension between: do how do we glorify the past and how do we remember the past? You know, who was triumphant and who do we glorify then, and should we still be glorifying them now? So I think it's it's interesting, and I think it was it sparked conversation. And and it's was how he was toppled is interesting in itself, and it wasn't by individuals who were black basically. But I think what, what's what's most important is that, you know, whether it was toppled by whatever community, and I think the most important thing is that we have conversations about what he did, and but we also have conversations about why we want to change and what we want to change, and how do we now move on from this legacy and say, right, Bristol going forward, um, white am black, all of all generations what can we learn from this historical moment? Is this a moment where we say the past is now buried, now we live in the future? Or do we kind of go back to this um, event and say, actually, what can we learn from glorifying certain parts of our history? And what should we now glorify going forward as part of historic moments?
0: Yeah, and I think it's, it's very important, the point that you make repeatedly in, in your writing is this, the importance of dialogue. So the fact that all of this is happening is really creating a lot of opportunity for dialogue. And let's, let's hope that we can have that in a genuine way and not allow it just to be more divisive.
1: Exactly. So there's a commitment from Bristol to, and Bristol University to really allow researchers and, um, and senior academics to look more at the history of slavery in Bristol, confront the past, but also what can we learn from it?
0: That was Richard Accarelli, founder and CEO of East London Connect, a charity aiming to regenerate East London by helping young people access educational and career opportunities. Richard is also the producer and presenter of his own podcast series, Teaching at the Top, Black Men in Academia. You can find out more about the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation by following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube.